Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jazz insight and analysis straight from the source. Oh my goodness! goodness. Yeah! Yeah, let's go! This is your Utah Jazz Insider Report on the Zone Sports Network. Now joining Spence and Gordon, here's radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NBA draft in the books, NBA free agency right around the corner, then Summer League begins, and don't forget to get your Summer League tickets to see the Utah Jazz. Ben Simmons will be in town uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. It starts on the 4th, so log on to utahjazz.com. Join us now to talk all things jazz and NBA basketball as a radio voice of the jazz, David Locke, back on the big show. All right, David, now that the draft is in the books, you probably had a chance to look at all three of these guys pretty cl- pretty closely. Tell jazz fans uh, what they can expect from all three of the second-round picks. I think it's a hard uh, matchup for any of these guys, you know, to try to figure out how they're going to make this team. But I actually think all three of them will get NBA time in their careers. Their 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 games have that level of maturity to them that I, you know, they'll. What do you always say, Spence? There's probably there's 450 NBA players, 15 times 30. So there's probably 380 their regular NBA players, and then there's a mix of about a hundred guys. They try to work their way, and, and you know the Chris Johnsons of the world, if they can find a niche. I think these guys will be in that hundred, and then I think there's a chance that a few, some of them might be able to 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 jump into that 380. Uh, Bowen Boy, we know from his Weaver State days, he's just he's a great rebounder. That usually translates, but it, you know he hasn't been rebounding against athletes. It's going to be a little bit of a different game for him. His development of his three-point shot over the last four years shows a skill development that leads you to believe um, that he might be able to develop. He talked a lot today about having the ball in his hands and being able to play with the ball on the floor, which I, uh, is an aspect of his game I hadn't really considered. Uh, Marcus Page is interesting. If you kind of look at his background, he's the number one point guard in the country. McDonald's All-American goes to North Carolina, and after his sophomore year, they're talking about him coming out in the draft. You know him probably better because you watch more college than I do uh, in the sense that he's really, you know, he's got a chance. He has his junior year, he gets moved to shooting guard, has a bad year. This year he breaks his hand, doesn't shoot well at first, and kind of drops out of the kind of circle and meeting him today. Oh my gosh. He might be the most impressive uh, athlete I've ever interacted with. He, he's marvelous. Uh, if I was an NBA organization, I'd want him on my team around only because I eventually want him running my team. Uh, he's awesome. Uh, and then uh, I like Tyrone Wallace. I mentioned him in my locked on NBA podcast with Mike Schmitz as the guy I thought could be Norman Powell this year. And what I really like about Tyrone Wallace is that he, in his uh, junior year at Cal, he was the team. So I think he had a usage rate over 30. His defensive rebounding rate was over 20. His assist rate was over 20%. I mean, he did everything for this team. And then 
they brought in uh, Ivan Rab and uh, Jalen Brown. He had to take a different role on the team. And I think that adaptability by the way he's had to play different roles gives me a belief that he can adjust to being uh, a regular NBA player. I think the, the biggest problem so many of these kids have is that they were the man and they're used to their 22 possessions a night or whatever it might be and trying to get them to understand how to adapt to being just a regular NBA player or a rotational player or even a fringe player, you know, having a role uh, is something I think is very, very difficult for these guys. And I think uh, particularly Page and Wallace, I don't think we'll have a problem with that. Joel might have to learn how to be good in seven minutes, which I think will be different for him. David, you've been studying the uh, the free agent uh, market. Uh, as you look at it realistically, who are some guys that stand out as, as, as people who could help the Jazz and that you would be excited about having them uh, reel in? Well, let me say this. I don't like the free agent market this year. Um, I would far rather play the trade market if I was if I was an NBA team. Uh, I, I just... I actually just did my Locked on NBA podcast with the scout. So an anonymous, it's an NBA scout hired by NBA. You know, he's a scout, right? He goes to every game, does his deal. He's hired. He's an NBA, comes on anonymously. So he hopefully gives me kind of the, we just ran through every single position and the tiers at every position. It's disastrous. You don't know how good the George Hill trade is? Okay. The available point guard is Mike Conley. He, I don't. We can debate whether you think he's tier one or tier two. It's irrelevant. He's the available point guard. The next group of point guards are Jeremy Lin, Darren Williams, Brandon Jennings, Raymond Felton, Mario Chalmers, Jordan Clarkson, Gervis Vasquez, and Matthew Delvadova. Like, that's one of those is the second best point guard on the market. So you get George Hill for the 12th pick, you're a hero. I run through the rest of this. I just don't see a lot of things that move me. So I like Jared Dudley. I think he would be a neat hybrid fix. He's a tier three power forward. He's probably the fifth best power forward available behind Horford, Gasol, Nowitzki, and Ryan Anderson. He's probably going to get $15 million. Wow. Uh, I mean, Luel, who, which of these is the third best small forward? So Durant and LeBron James, he, here's a crazy one. If everyone wants to know why Gordon Hayward gets the max, ready? The wings, the, I believe that there are six really high-quality wing players available, okay? So Kevin Durant, LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, Dwayne Wade, then the next, Evan Fournier, Bradley Beal. Okay? Yeah. And maybe Nicholas Batum would make it seven. I think it's almost 100% other than Durant that all seven of those go back to their team. Right? DeRozan goes to Toronto. Wade stays in Miami. I know he sent out feelers to San Antonio and Dallas. Fournier and Bradley Beal are restricted. Their teams are going to match. LeBron's going to Cleveland, and Durant, I would say, all likelihood heads back to Oklahoma City, but we'll see. And Batum is likely to stay in Charlotte. Okay, the next best wing player that you can sign in free agency is either Harrison Barnes, 
Chandler Parsons, Luel Dang, Jamal Crawford. I saw a report that uh, there were a bunch of teams that were interested in Crawford. You know why? Because the shooting guards are DeMar DeRozan, Dwayne Wade, Evan Fournier, Bradley Beal. They're all going to sign with their own teams and all like Here's the next group of shooting guards. Jordan Clarkson, J.R. Smith, Jamal Crawford, Courtney Lee, Aaron Aflalo, Dion Waiters, Eric Gordon, and Gerald Henderson. That group, my tier three groups in 2015, got $8 million. On this salary cap, expect them to get 13 Which one of those guys do you want? Well, all these guys are going to get paid. The question is, do you want to be one of the teams that that is going to be thought to be, you know, overpay one of them? Uh, you know, and at what point in your tier rankings do those players start looking at Salt Lake City and the Utah Jazz as opposed to getting the same amount of money in a different place? See, that's why I like the trade market. If I can find a player, well, first of all, I like our roster a lot right now. I think it needs minor tweaks, not major tweaks. Um, so then I think the next question is, can you find people in the trade market who have set salaries that you can acquire that maybe lets those other teams go overpay? What kind of deal would you be looking at, David? What what, what would be something, this is kind of a off-the-wall thing, but uh, what kind of deal do you think would be a good one for the Jazz to consider? I mean, I think you got to look around and find, okay, so what are the available opportunities? The available opportunities are if there's a team that is suddenly trying to move players because they're going to jump into the Durant sweepstakes. So I don't know how you do it, but if the Clippers get into the Durant sweepstakes, they can't have Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan on their roster. They can't. And Kevin Durant. It doesn't work. Uh, I don't, you know, Orlando, I think, is going to not be able to sign anyone, so they'll be fine when they, after they max out Fournier. The Warriors, if they sign Durant, have, have problems, right? There's guys there that they won't be able to sign. They, ironically enough, maybe the Jazz, after allowing the Warriors to do a deal, can bring Iguodala back here, right? Someone like that would be fabulous. Sacramento retools their entire roster. I, I'd be willing to maybe gamble on Ben McLemore with limited on his contract. I'd be interested in gambling on Rudy Gay. Uh, so I think you just look around and try to find teams that might be in a circumstance in which they're going to try to move uh, some players or need to, or maybe, you know, as the Jazz did with George Hill, Dennis Lindsay's ahead of the game here. Um, this is a longer conversation, but Dennis Lindsay just pulled the first of what's going to be probably many trades because you can the mechanisms to make a trade are much easier. And so the George Hill trade, which still has not been announced, it won't be announced until the new salary cap, is because of the fact that Dennis Lindsay read the landscape to understand that trades are easier to make. That's a trade they couldn't have made without adding other players another time. They found a way to get it done. All right, I'm going to ask you about three players. Shelvin Mack, Trey Burke, and Trevor Booker. What happens with all three of them? Hmm. So Sheldon Mack's really interesting because um, the contract's great for this year, and you can just pick up the option on July, whatever it is, and he's $2 million, and he's probably very tradable after that. So I would certainly suspect the Jazz pick up the option on Mack. The next decision that has to be made there is whether you're carrying three or four point guards and whether or not 
you're carrying Mac or Neto. Neto's contract is incredibly friendly. It's what 800,000 this year, like 900,000 next year, and one point something the year after. So if you don't think there's a huge difference between Neto and Mac, you could make a reasonable argument that you keep Neto's contract long term to keep him with it. Maybe that's four point guards. Maybe that's moving a Mac. Uh, Trey Burke, I would suspect, gets moved at this point. And I think he'll be good at his next spot. Not great, but I think he'll be a viable, good rotation player. It happens a lot. Top 10 picks need to go to their second team. And I think that's one of them. Uh, I think he'll be a good, decent player, probably very similar to DJ Augustine uh, as his career develops, another ninth pick. Uh, and Trevor Booker, I, I, the Jazz would obviously love to have Trevor back because of who he is and his personality and um, his leadership and, and everything. Um, I think there'll be an effort to try to find more shooting out of that position than Trevor. But if it doesn't become available, then I don't think there's any reason why the Jazz wouldn't want to bring Trevor Booker back. You know, David, Trevor Booker was really a popular guy with the fans because they loved what you were just describing, the energy bring to games. Is there any way – we were talking about this yesterday a little bit. Is there any way to develop that in some of the other players? I think other players have it. I don't know how to say this nicely. I'm not always the most tactful. You very rarely refer to a really good player as a hustle player. Right? So, Gordon Hayward's hustling every bit as hard as Trevor Booker. So is Rodney Hood. So is Rudy Gobert. Um, you know, Ronnie Price was a great hustle player, only because he couldn't shoot and he couldn't do all those other things. And so we referred to him as a hustle player because you like him, you want to root for him, and he brings energy. They do. They bring it. They deserve credit for what they're bringing. But I think sometimes it's the same way that we talk about. My favorite thing in this league is if you got a guy who plays shooting guard who can't shoot, we automatically announce that he's a great defensive player, regardless of whether he is or actually not. But, like, if he doesn't shoot well and he's still playing, then he must be a really good defender. Sometimes I feel like we do that with players who are lacking skills, then we just give them a lot of credit for their hustle. Trevor might be a little different because he brought a level of toughness and um, pizzazz to who this team was, and that's why fans loved him. But, um, you know, I think the other guys are playing just as hard. They're just, they're just better, and so maybe it doesn't look as hard. Hey, David, thanks as always for the time, man. Before we let you go, do you want to talk about uh, what you're doing with your new Locked On uh, podcast? Uh, I don't, you know, I, those are a follow. I don't need to, but thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, those, I don't need to. I appreciate it, though. All right, man. Sounds good. We'll chat soon. That's the radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. You know, we talked about that yesterday with Trevor Booker. You know, it, it's like if somebody says, man, that guy is really crafty. Yeah. Probably means you can't do very many other things. And it doesn't mean Trevor wasn't playing hard. Trevor certainly was playing hard. But as David was just saying, and as we talked about with Bowler yesterday, other guys are playing hard too. The skill set just masks the fact that, you know, maybe you don't recognize how hard they're playing because they're more skilled. Trevor, a guy that doesn't handle it well, doesn't pass it well, doesn't shoot it well. So he better play hard, and he better hustle. If he doesn't, he's not on an NBA roster. I think there's another component to it beyond just the playing hard. It's the emotional uh, expression. Getting the crowd into it. Yeah, and the crowd loves that stuff. And I don't know, I was, while David was talking about that, I started thinking about great players who do that. You know, I think you could say Steph Curry tries to do that, and he gets criticized for it sometimes. 
But you know? but no one out there like if you if you had an NBA fan right or if so, if you had somebody who covered the game, and you just said, "All right, name me four or five qualities about Steph Curry," I guarantee none of those four or five qualities would be he hustles. Yeah. <laughs> but if you ask the same guy, okay, talk about Trevor Booker. First thing he'd say was he plays really hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. That's that's really an interesting concept that sometimes the hustle is buried beneath the talent. That's yeah, that's one way to put it. You know, and it doesn't mean like did anyone play harder than Carl? Not many people, not many guys in the history of the NBA played harder than Carl Malone or trained har- harder than Carl Malone, but if you ask an NBA historian what was awesome about Carl, they'd probably talk about his incredible skill set, the ability to run the floor as a big, how he improved his jump shot to extend his career. Uh, the, the way he was able to strip the basketball and uh, incredible low post defender and great rebounder. And then you might get to the fact, oh, he played his tail off. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think that has to be included in what Carmelo brought to the table. Well, I would agree, but it's not one of the first four or five things you talk right. about. It's not. But, man, that guy played hard and uh, was a very tough, tough player and led uh, led by example as far as showing up for every, you know, being ready to play. For every game now, some games were less more successful than others, but I mean his his effort was uh, hardly questioned. There might have been a, a couple of times in the NBA Finals when uh, he got a little bit of alligator arms here and there. Got to bring that up, don't you? Well, uh, no. Are you still I, mad at him because you wrote the column proclaiming the Jazz the NBA champs, and he kind of no, fumbled I, it there at the end? I like Carmelo. I, I I don't you know he and I have had some terrific discussions through the years. I I, I think he was a, he was a great player. It's just that as a two time MVP, we were comparing him to Michael Jordan, and uh, with the expectations get a little higher when you when you're named an, M, an MVP, then you show up when your team needs you to be there. That was one of the things that was so discouraging, I think, for Warriors fans when Steph didn't play up to what his capabilities were in this last Finals, and then. And then Kyrie Irving hits a tough shot, and next thing you know, uh, he pays dearly for it because his team ended up on the short end of that stick. Well, tell me three or four things you love about LeBron James. In in, in the finals when LeBron was doing his thing, what what'd you see? Well, because I thought of LeBron as David was talking. You cannot – he is he's everything. But you know how that hard team. that dude played know, in the yeah. postseason? I mean, unbelievable. Now, you can accuse him of coasting a bit during the regular season because, oh, I don't know, most every single NBA player does at some point the because schedule, it's such a crazy schedule. It requires it. 82 games, essentially 82 games, plus the preseason, plus the playoffs. I mean, that equates to six or seven months. So it's natural for a couple of weeks at a time. Now, I didn't like what he did last year. It's just taking two weeks off. Right. Going to see Ohio State play football. Sure. But... Nobody played harder, in my estimation, than LeBron in the postseason, especially when the the, uh, the deck was stacked against him. But if you ask most people, what did LeBron do in the NBA Finals? They'd say, man, he did everything. He handled the basketball. Uh, he played point forward most of the time. He initiated the offense. Defense. Great defensively. He started boarding out. He was knocking down outside shots. He was being aggressive. But probably no one would tell you, Holy smokes, that guy played his tail off, and he did. Yeah, I, I think that is a case where if you didn't see him playing his tail off, then you weren't watching. Right. And look, uh, I've been critical of LeBron for some of the dramatics that he shows at times. I think it's a little over the top. But as far as integrity as to how he applies himself to the game, come on. just It was astounding what he did. And nobody worked harder than Mike. 
You know, Michael Jordan may have been the yeah. hardest worker in the NBA. At least that's what all of his teammates and coaches said. Well, the, when you have the best talent, and, and the same. This is one thing those two players have numerous things in, in common. But one of them is they had uh, – in. okay, let me back up. Because LeBron James this year, I think, had the most at stake. That's fair. His legacy was at stake. I think he viewed it that way. And maybe that was his motivation. It's like a great actor. What's my motivation? You know? Not really like that, but I understand what you're saying. He knew what his motivation was. Well, he did. And he, he uh, that, and, and you mentioned his outside shooting. That had been a weakness for him. And so for him to come through the way he did when he absolutely had to, that always impresses me. Yeah. I mean, because that's so hard to do, especially if you haven't been shooting the ball well. Which he hadn't. But name one of the greats, one of, one of the all-time greats, where one of the first things you will say about him is, man, he was a hustle guy, played really, really hard. Is there anyone that comes to mind? And don't say Larry Bird because he's white. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm thinking. I See, Larry is the one that comes to mind because people do say, oh, wow, man, he was diving for loose balls. Man, he was scrappy. And then in the back of my mind, is like, you're just saying that because he's a white, awesome player. Wait a minute. I, 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 there are 10 things that Larry Bird did that was awesome outside of playing hard. I don't understand why all the time he's the default guy that played really hard. <laughs> yeah, I Chris Mullen is also crafty, by the way. Uh, it's it's funny because I've got all these great players going through my mind now, and I'm going, hey, yeah, that's on down the list. That's on down the list. It's, like it's, it's hard to think of somebody. It's hard to think of somebody where that's the first thing that comes to your mind. And it doesn't mean they weren't playing hard. It just means their skill set is so intoxicating, that's not what you notice. A, a name that comes to my mind is Sidney Moncrief. Sidney Moncrief played hard, but he was awesome at a lot of different things as well. <laughs> oh, look, I'm, I'm trying over here. No, you no, know? no. I, I mean, what I'm saying is you don't necessarily – I don't think there is an example of yeah. one of the greats that you come up with where the first thing you say is he played hard, but it doesn't mean he wasn't playing hard. It means Magic was a great passer and an incredible rebounder for a point guard. And a point guard with great size that could back you down and make it make his teammates better. And he was a great leader. But, oh, by the way, he also played hard. <laughs> do you think it's that all these guys do play hard or do you think they don't have to play? I hard? think the majority of great NBA players work very hard and play very hard most of the time. I think the majority of great NBA players coast during the regular season. That's one of the reasons I love that scene in Airplane. When uh, the, 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 Jello? The, the little kid is in the cockpit. And says to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, hey, uh, you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he goes, no, I'm not. I'm such and such pilot, whatever. And he goes, my dad says that you don't <laughs> you don't play hard. <laughs> you know. And he said, you tried dragging Bill Lambeer up and down the court over and over and over again. Did you he know? say Bob Lanier? Because Bill Lambeer. Yeah, it wasn't Bill Lambeer. Oh, no, it was a Bob Lanier. Said, I think he said Bob Lanier and Bill Walton. I'll have to look that up, though. But, yeah, grab the kid by the shirt. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, scene. It's funny. It's, it's it's just sort of a comedy scene. But to me, when when he said that, the first time I saw that movie, and he said that, I thought that's right. We don't give these guys enough credit. Yeah, they're well paid, and they get a lot of adoration and all that. Most of them really do bust their humps. And I'll tell you, these people who say, "Oh, NBA players don't play defense." Oh, come on. Hey, the college kids do. I'm telling you right now that most NBA players. They play very good defense. They play very hard. But like you said, Harden. it's mitigated at times by an 82-game regular season. Well, why do you think the frustration comes into play with DeMarcus Cousins? Because DeMarcus Cousins is an example of a player that doesn't play hard all the time. But when DeMarcus Cousins plays hard, you're like, that dude could be one of the best players that this game has ever seen. 
if he had, if, if I'm telling you right now, if he had the drive, whatever it is, if he had the mental strength and the motivation along the lines of a John Stockton or a Michael Jordan, he may be considered one of the top five players in the history of the game. He has he has that potential, and that's why it's frustrating watching him play. Right. I'll give I'll give you a, another example: Gordy Chiesa, and I don't disagree with him because I played against this guy. I watched him play up close in person when he was a kid. Gordy Chiesa will tell you that Lamar Odom had the best overall skill set of any player he ever saw, and should be considered one of the best players ever. But got sideways with a lot of things starting when he was about 17 years old and could never fully figure it out. But when he did, it was pretty special. Uh, Derek Coleman is another example yep. of that. You know, So there are these guys who you see, but I think they're more the exception than the rule. I think most of these guys are, are conscientious athletes who are, are, are trying hard. They do play hard. It doesn't always look like it, and sometimes you can understand. But when I see these back-to-back games in the NBA, Spence, when they're playing in some arena somewhere and the next night they're playing somewhere else and they were busting their hump the night before, and anybody who's played basketball at that level, I mean, essentially, you're you're banged up. You're beat up. You get just bruises and just contact. And then coming back and playing the next night, it is not easy to do. And I'm not making excuses for anybody, but I'm just telling you, these guys do apply themselves in most cases. Who fulfilled expectations more, Derek Coleman or Gary Coleman? Things to think about at night. Rest in peace, Gary. Yeah.